This is your host, T. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? Geek Vibes Nation. Geek Vibes Nation. 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 The Top 10. The Top 10. Hello, hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you are deciding to listen to the top ten, um, just make sure you listen to the top ten, obviously. But um, <laughs> to another episode of the top ten by Geek Vibes Nation. As always, I'm your host Tia, and I have with me today Brittany. How you doing, Brittany? I'm good. I'm good. Um. You know how we always have to talk about all the cats always here as soon as we start the podcast? It's a lot different when you have five cats in the house and suddenly you got kittens crawling all over you, but I guess it's a good problem to have. I told you, Brittany, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, So Brittany, you know, is taking care of some kittens right now and about, I want to say like two to three years ago, um, we had a pregnant cat in the house who then gave to seven kittens. Now, mind you, we have four adult cats on top of that and a dog. So, and Brittany lives in a house. I'm not trying to out you right now, Brittany, but Brittany lives in a, in a two, in a two floor house, a lot of room. I live in a one bedroom apartment and had six kittens five adult cats and a dog for like a solid two or three months. <laughs> you can handle it. You, you, you have this tea. You got it. I mean, that was plenty of room. That was more room than you needed. Oh my gosh. You had so much room. I had so much room. Uh, we could have honestly downsized to a studio apartment with all those. Oh God. <laughs> Tia, no. <laughs> Just because the cats. Have the um, kittens started, like, climbing up shower curtains? Because when the kittens were here, when they started, like, you know, getting up on their feet and everything, they started literally climbing the shower curtain. <laughs> they're, they're, like, the the worst thing with them is, like, one of the kittens, okay, well, one more keeping whiskey is really sweet and calm, and he wants to just be held and loved. And Dorian, the other one we're keeping, you know, he was sick, so you know he's a he he's a little bit different because I guess he was like not as socialized because he was so sick, you know. But Nami, he'll he'll test bite you. He'll like kind of nip you, and you're like, okay, that wasn't bad. And then he'll slowly clench his jaw on you, just waiting for you to say <laughs> ow. And then runs off, and I'm like, you little bastard. (laughs) It's amazing, like, the little personalities that cats have, especially when they're kittens. Like, I do miss when our cats were actually small and kittens instead of being, like, fat now and just lazy. (laughs) But, but. But, Brittany, before we go into the this week's top ten, I have to ask, how was your Halloween? Because we are recording this the morning after All Hallows' Eve. It was really good, really good. Um, I felt bad because I guess I sat there and well, we uh, 
we ended up taking a motorcycle ride all day to uh, a town close to us that's curvy, and it was super nice. I didn't get cold, which was surprising, until, like, the very end when, you know, the sun's setting. But I felt bad, because as soon as we got home, like, it was still, like, it was, like, 5 o'clock, right? 5 o'clock. And I sat there, and I was, like, we were getting ready to go eat dinner, and we were going to take the motorcycle, so the garage door was still open, and the motorcycle was parked outside. Well... I hear a knock at the door, and I was like, what is that? And I opened the door, and it was trick-or-treaters, and I totally forgot it was Halloween. We had nothing. I had to tell them we had nothing. And they looked so disappointed because their parents were in the car, and they walked off with, like, their heads down, and I felt like an asshole. So this year, um, I guess things are different down there, but in New York, they actually – the like, governor actually canceled trick-or-treating, you know, because we are still in COVID uh, world. So trick-or-treating was canceled this year, or else I would have gotten candy. In general, like, living in an apartment, you really don't ever get people at your door, maybe, like, one or two. And in the past, I just put a bowl of candy out on the front step because that's what I used to do when I lived at home with my parents, you know? Um, And and normally I would do that. And you really see it like the end of the night, if anything, like no one really got candy, maybe a few, but because I had asked Cindy, who has a younger sister, I was like, oh, is your sister going uh, trick-or-treating this year? And she was like, no, they canceled trick-or-treating this year. And I was like, oh, okay, that's right. So I didn't even like, bother getting any candy so that we didn't eat it and no one came to the door at all so i guess they didn't do that down in arkansas <laughs> well, I, I sat there i was like man i was like I, I with everything going on i forgot there would even be a halloween like they canceled all our main events right like uh, on main street normally they have a big walk down where all those businesses have like they give out candy outside their business, and the kids can just walk down. So it's a little bit safer than just walking up to people's houses, you know, and they end up getting more candy. Well, I guess I sat there, and I was like, well, Halloween is, you know, I, I guess I just didn't think of it. I didn't even think. But the thing was that got me was that they came right at, like, like while it was still really bright outside. Like, the sun hadn't even began to set, and I was like, I was like, it caught me so off guard, and I felt like such a jerk. I was like, I am, like, that person that just, like, ruined it. Honestly, my mom used to take me trick-or-treating a lot, like, while it was still light out, like, 4 or 5 o'clock. She has a friend who lives in Queens, who lives in this really nice neighborhood, and my mom for several years would take me to Queens and we'd do the trick-or-treating there because we got, like, so much more candy than you would down in Manchester. But it's funny you talk about the businesses. So, first of all, they can't, like, in New York City, they always have a huge Halloween parade and they canceled that this year. Um, But it's funny you talk about businesses with candy yesterday because, you know, I had Halloween at home. Like, we just watched movies all day. And I was like, well, I was like, you know, I want to, um, this is so weird, Brittany, but have you ever heard of, like, a hot toddy? That sounds very familiar, but I'm not quite sure what it is. It's a, like, alcoholic beverage that's, like, hot, and you, like, say, like, 
put you mix like either brandy or rum with like hot water and lemon juice and honey and like a cinnamon stick and it's Ooh, you know good. And I wanted to try and make it so you know because it's it's been really cold out and everything and I went to the liquor store and there was this like old woman who worked there and I talked to her for a second because I was just trying to see what like the best spiced rum to get would be anyway I'm sorry I'm like rambling here but I was like you know checking out and like paying for it and she like reaches into a bowl and hands me a freaking Twix and um three musketeers bar and goes happy Halloween so I'm like oh (laughs) I'm 30 and I haven't gotten like candy from someone since I was a kid and I'm like thanks like last side note is so you know like um I was telling Aaron I felt so bad about the trick-or-treaters and like and obviously you know he was joking and stuff but like so he was uh homeschooled right and um and you know his mom was barely conservative and stuff and he said um he said he said fuck him he goes I never had a Halloween he goes I've never even dressed up for Halloween I don't care basically like I don't give a shit that made me laugh so hard but I felt so bad um so I have one last story to that right and I'm outing some people here but you know they don't listen to the podcast so it's okay but um when I was like in my early 20s, I think I've said that I used to throw, like, house parties every Halloween because my parents were on vacation um, out of the country, and my mom knew, right? She, like, knew she, that I was going to throw the party, so it wasn't, like, ooh, a big surprise, like, She's throwing like, your party. social. Yeah, exactly. So, like, um, so I would always throw these Halloween parties, and because, you know, we were all drinking and, like, playing music and stuff – I didn't want to be, again, disturbed, say, by, like, children knocking. So, again, I'd put, like, the bowl of candy out, you know, in front of the door. And usually every year there was always, like, candy, um, like, available, right? And so at some point in the night, like, again, we're all, you know, we're, we're drinking, we're having fun, blah, blah, blah. And there's, like, a knock at the door, and we're like, what the hell is this? Now open the door, and there's, like, these three little girls all in, like, you know, Princess Jasmine sort of costumes and their mother is there and they're like trick or treat. And I look down at the bowl and the bowl is completely empty. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't have anything. There's like no candy left at all because that was all the candy. And I'm like looking at everyone in the apartment, which, you know, there's like at least like 15 people or more. And I was like, does anyone have like money on them? (laughs) You know, like, does anyone have um, because some people did that. I don't know if they did. There was some people like would do that, give like you know a quarter or two or something like that. Um, and I was like, does anyone have money? And like, no one had cash on them. And I had to like say, you know, sorry. And they walked away just like your uh, trick or treaters walked away all disappointed. Come to find out later that the reason why there was no candy in the bowl is because one of my cousins who lived in the apartment next to us came. And took all of the candy at some point. Why? Because she just figured, oh, well, you know, no one really trick-or-treats in these buildings anyway. I'm just going to take all the candy. I'd be so mad. 
god! Wait, is it the cousin I know? Um, yeah, it, it it's my cousin Nicolette. I don't care. Oh my god! I, I knew, I knew even before I saw her. As soon as I heard cousin in the building, I was like, I'm not even surprised. To continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that so that's my story where it's like because again every year, even though there was like a bowl of candy in the front, you could tell obviously like people had taken candy, but there was always candy left, and so this was like the only time that there was no candy, and I was like you motherfuckers. But <laughs> anyway, um, I'm glad that you had a good Halloween. I feel like I had a good Halloween. I dressed up like regardless. I put on my freaking costume from. I put on my costume from last year's New York Comic Con because I had a few, like, um, I had an interview, yes, an on-screen interview yesterday, so I was like, okay, cool, and I, like, recorded a little, like, video and everything, so I was like, fuck it, and we just watched uh, frickin' Hocus Pocus, Beetlejuice, James and the Giant Peach, um, Nightmare Before Christmas, like, we definitely watched a ton of, like, Halloween-themed movies, and I was like, this is great, but I feel like next year... When COVID isn't, like, running rampant, I'm going to throw, like, a party here. You should do it. I would like to see you during Halloween again, but it's hard because of, like, of, uh, comic, uh, you know, with the Comic-Con now and wanting to see you during that time. But, like, oh, going to your Halloween party was one of the shining moments of, like, <laughs> hanging out with you. I was like, this is so fun. I, I threw a good Halloween party back in the day. I really did. Um, so... <laughs> Um, I'm going to toot my own horn there. But, yeah, I would definitely rather you come for New York Comic Con than Halloween, honestly. I mean, I'd love for you to come to both, but New York Comic Con. It's basically just a bigger Halloween except before Halloween. Well, I mean, that's my thing. It's like, you know, you at least have a costume for Halloween because you wear your costume (laughs) New York Comic Con. And I was happy because my costume still fits. So, (laughs) Um, but... (laughs) <laughs> but Brittany and I, I think, have uh, rambled long enough. Uh, I hope everyone who's listening had a happy and safe Halloween, whatever you decided to do. Um, our top ten today is going to be another spotlight top ten. We've done a top ten best roles that John Bernthal has played. We've done a top ten best roles that Jeffrey Dean Morgan has played. And now I feel like it was only a matter of time before we did a top ten Scoot McNary uh, roles. Brittany, how excited are you for this? I mean, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm pretty excited too. It's so funny because he didn't even come on the radar until a movie we'll say later on. And I remember literally watching it and I was like, Tia's going to love, love this actor. Literally. And then you watched it. You had forgot I had said it. And then suddenly you were like, you're like, I really like this guy in that movie. We <laughs> were watching it. I was I like, I knew it. I really totally forgot that you had even, like, mentioned him. So when you were like, that's who I mentioned, I was like, oh, shit. Like, um, yeah, I totally – and it's funny because Scoot McNary has been in a lot of things. Like, he has a very extensive resume, and I just feel like – and I've watched things, and we'll get into it later, right? But I've watched things with him in it, just not realizing, like, who he is or not even really paying attention. Um but this guy's been in, like, so many things. He's been, like, in the acting field for a little bit more than 10 years. And I wanted to say really quick before we get into the actual list, but I was partially 
inspired to suggest this as a top 10 because um, I was listening to this podcast that's called That One Audition, and it's this woman who speaks to actors about, like, the audition process and everything, and it's a, it's a cool concept for a show, and one of her shows, she had Scoot McNary on, and he talked about that so do you remember years ago that movie Failure to Launch with Matthew McConaughey and Sarah Jessica Parker? I know the name, and if I looked at it, I would know it, but I, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I saw that movie a few times because back when I was like a teenager, I was like 15 when it came out, and the guy that I was dating at the time, we like didn't really know like what to do, so we saw a lot of movies, and... We just, like, saw movies just for the sake of seeing movies, and I think I, we saw, like, Failure to Launch, like, at least two or three times because it was, like, the only thing playing. So I saw that movie, like, a bunch of times. Um, my point is, so Matthew McConaughey plays the lead role. And Scoot McNary talked in this one uh, podcast how he had auditioned for that role. And they really liked him and they wanted to give him the role. They were like, wow, we really liked what you brought to this character. Like, this is hilarious, blah, blah, blah. And they were going to cast him. But at the time, he was like really a no name. And the studio was like, who is Scoot McNary? No, we want like someone known to like draw names. And that's when they went with Matthew McConaughey. And I was like, that's so yeah, I was like, that's so funny how that goes. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was interesting. <laughs> and now he's like in so many things that you're like, when I was looking at his filmography, I was like, he was in that? Like, you know, like yeah. confused. I was like, well, dang, okay. He's been in a lot, but before we get right in, of course, you know that we have to, uh, God, I can't even talk, right? <laughs> I want to say a message from a friend of the podcast who is uh, Stranger Damies. And Stranger Damies is the ongoing real play D&D podcast from the main Damie family of podcasts. Join them every Wednesday as the wild stallions traverse the many traps and tribulations that Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition has to throw in their path. There's elves, weird half-dragon people, conspiracies to uncover, and more references to the 1980s and Ready Player One. Subscribe to the podcast on all podcast services by searching Stranger Damies and follow on Twitter and Instagram as Stranger Damies. Stranger Damies is also a proud member of Geek Vibes Nation, and you can find them at gvnation.com. Um, under the like main Damie umbrella, they have a gaming podcast called Game Vault Podcast. Um, and it's mostly Mark, who is a member of Stranger Damies and stuff, and Jen, who is Dan's wife, right? And yeah. they did they did a Halloween stream the night before Halloween. So I decided to, like, stop in and kind of watch and everything. They were playing, um, oh, my God, I don't know which one it was, but it was, like, a Stranger Things edition or something like that. Dead oh. by me. Do you oh, know Dead by Daylight? Yes, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Dead by Daylight. They were playing the Stranger Things edition. It was kind of freaky. It was kind of cool. Have you ever played that, Brittany? I have not played Dead by Daylight. A lot of people have asked me to play, but basically it's online multiplayer where there's one killer and 
I think, four survivors or five survivors, I can't remember. And if you play a survivor, your goal is to try to get out. But if you play the uh, killer, your uh, your job is to try to kill everyone. <laughs> oh, fun, fun. Yeah, uh, I, I just wanted to say, because, uh, you know, on top of Brittany being an amazing streamer, I enjoyed uh, watching them stream as well. And, you know, I'm not, like, the biggest, like, uh, gamer or anything like that. So I just wanted to suggest that. Um you know, if you're looking for two awesome gaming streams, you have Game Vault Podcast and you have Brittany's Itty Bitty Brit uh, Twitch streaming, which, of you course, I always, of this. I always feel a little shout out at the end of it. Um, but, Brittany, let's start the top 10 uh, roles that Scoot McNary has played. What's your number 10? It's hard because so many of his characters that he does play, I'm like, God, I was like, I don't want to, like, put one of my favorites right at the bottom, but I'm like, want to also wait. I think I'm going to come out strong. <laughs> You're going to come out swinging. <laughs> I'm going to come out with, um, oh, don't hate me, Jackson Norris from the oh. Marvel one-shot. Don't hate me. I'm not going to hate you. I, I love it. I got plenty of others. I have a whole list. I've seen a lot more than you. <laughs> it's like, you underestimate my love for this man. Um, but I'm going with Jackson Norris. So when it starts out, you know, with uh, Marvel did their little one-shots and everything, uh, kind of like little sub-stories from their main plots. And I remember, too, it was like, uh, oh, there's these little one-shots. You should watch this one. And you always wonder what happened to a lot of the villains that, you know, they defeated that somehow are still alive. Because Marvel's death count for their villains is pretty freaking high. So, oh. you know, <laughs> it, it, what would you say? I, I know, I said, oh, yeah. But it's like, uh, so you have, like, where the, uh, I always want to call him the Mandalorian instead of the Manders. From <laughs> 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 Iron Man. But uh, basically, uh, he plays a man named Jackson Norris who is interviewing the man. The, 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 <laughs> he wanted to say the Mandalorian. I can't help it. I, every time I spell it out to you, I nearly put the Mandalorian. But uh, either way, he is, uh, he is interviewing the man that pretended to be the Mandarin. And he keeps trying to get the story out of him, but the guy is very, like, very, like, very ditzy he's very airheaded and you can tell how irritated jackson Norris is but you know they say that they're filming it uh basically they're making i think like a documentary and you're realizing that this person also holds uh other iron man villains uh the, what was his name uh justin hammer yes from is it iron man two or three i thought it was iron man two two you're correct played oh, by uh rockwell Played by Sam Rockwell, who I also love. Tia is a woman of many loves. But, uh, so, they're going through this, and you can tell that, who is the actor that plays the Mandarin? Like, the... Oh, he's a a very well-known actor. I think Ben Kingsley, I I believe that's correct. Okay, and I'm trying to think of what he plays in it, because he's not... The Mandarin, but he's also like an actor that oh, plays the Mandarin. The act, the actor who he's playing is Trevor Slattery. 
Thank you, Trevor Slattery. Also, you know, he's interviewing him, and you can tell how, you know, Trevor Slattery has been pretty, like, luxury, even though it's a prison. Like, even as these guards, like, wrapped around his fingers, you know, where it's like they almost, like, serve him. Well, you're realizing that, like, I'm trying to think of how to exactly describe the events leading up. But basically, you find out that Jackson Norris is not just like an interviewer. He is uh, he is part of the, uh, how many rings is it? What? I can't remember. Ten, ten rings. I knew he said seven rings. But the <laughs> ten rings and actually works for the real Mandarin. And the whole thing is that they are out to get Trevor Slattery because he basically made the Mandarin look like an idiot. He, you know, ruined his name. It's like the Mandarin was supposed to be, you know, someone that struck fear into people's hearts. And, you know, it turned out to be this goofy actor who really just used the name. And, you know, isn't that scary? And, you know, he gets a little bit of luxury. But I guess it's like this shift in, like, Jackson Norris's character where it's like, he was very, like, calm and almost, like, oh, a little exasperated. And then it's, like, he flips into, like, this, like, very scary character. Like, he's very, like, oh, you know, you're going to meet the real Mandarin. Like, basically, we're going to make you suffer and regret ever using the name. But I just loved seeing that shift, and I also thought he played such a good, like, evil guy. But that I guess it's, like, it was true to the actor of a nature, uh, like, true to the nature of an actor to be able to just flip like that and I guess it like it legitimately gave me chills when I was like oh this dude's a bad guy because I remember when you said watch this I was like oh you know I guess he just plays an interviewer you know like when is something gonna happen and it's like oh no it's him he's the murderer it's fine it's fine Dia I loved discovering this one shot all hail the king is what it's called um, and I wish something more had been done with it. So, like, really quick, when Iron Man 3 came out, that's when they had the Mandarin. And the Mandarin's a character in the comics who will actually be explored in the upcoming movie Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. But it's funny because Iron Man 3 came out so long ago, right? 2013 or something. And we haven't really seen a payoff since then and i know a lot of people were pissed right because it's like the mandarin's this huge character in the comics and they you know didn't also is a chinese character so you're not even using like a chinese actor right to play the mandarin at first and then you discover oh it's not really the mandarin it's just this goofy actor being used as a ruse um for you know the main villain in Iron Man 3 and it's kind of crazy because it's like you know I feel like they really wanted to set up for the Ten Rings and the Mandarin um, especially in the Iron Man movies but then they kind of went more in a focus on Hydra right Um, and now they're gonna but so I loved in the All Hail the King where it's like you have Trevor Slattery who is still enjoying the fame that playing this character has brought him and he's being interviewed and he's oh god pretty he's such an idiot <laughs> he's so he is an idiot. i i can yes he's such an idiot right like you could tell at first jackson is so trying to like not 
like kill himself because of how dumb this guy is and i loved how um as you said the shift happens because then jackson's like you know wait so you're telling me that you don't know anything about the real mandarin he's like you said that you did your research trevor and he's like yeah he's like when uh he goes when an actor tells you that it just means that he like you know had a drink and like had a quick wank or something like that like said something stupid like you know like something to piss him off right and you know jackson's like you know let me tell you the real legend of the mantra and how he was like pretty much just like god general and this and that and you've you know sullied his name and trevor goes no one cares about the mandarin all they know is my name trevor slattery and that's when and that's when jackson goes yeah and for that sin you're going to pay and that's when he rolls up his sleeve and you see that he has the tattoo of the 10 rings there and he is like a member of this and i just loved it i loved like because i know virtually nothing about the 10 rings and not that i haven't loved hydra which sounds wrong but i you know i love I love, like, the little things in the MCU about Hydra, but it's, like, it would have been cool to, like, really learn about this other, like, you know, terroristic organization. And I feel like they wanted to go in that direction in 2014 when the short came out and then just never did. And so I thought it would have been really cool. I would have loved for Scoot McNary to, like, reprise his role as Jackson Norris because apparently in the comics there is a character called Jackson Norris. So it's, like, I would love for that to, like, be the case. Who knows if it's actually going to happen because it was in a one-shot that I'm sure not a lot of people even saw because apparently um, it is uh, attached to... Thor the Dark World's, like, Blu-ray release, right? Oh, God. Nobody's ever going to see it then. Yeah, so who knows? But um, anyway, my whole point is that I do love this role. I I think it's great. I guess it's, like, for me, it... I want them to use it so badly because Marvel has a thing about not um, reusing an actor, you know, for... Unless they were in Sony first and then went over to, you know, the Marvel, Marvel movies. And so I sit there and I go, well, they used to mess the space, so that means Scoot can basically never be in a Marvel movie unless it's as this character. And that's so disheartening. I know, it is disheartening. I mean, you know, I don't think... Like, listen, I don't know the fucking guy, so I can't say, like, if he would be down to, like, come back to Marvel. But he clearly did the Marvel one-shot, and he's been in the DCEU. So, I mean, technically, he, you know, doesn't seem like he'd be adverse to being in, like, the superhero world. I I mean, at this point, who would, like, not want to be in a Marvel movie? I mean, it's kind of like a career takeoff. Uh, can they cast me in a Marvel movie? I'll play yeah, a tree. <laughs> literally be an extra. You can literally pay me nothing. Just let me be in it, please. It'd be one of those things. Like, I don't need to get paid by Marvel. I just want, like, a fucking five-second, like, screen time so that I can just tell my mom and be like, look, I'm in a Marvel movie. Um, <laughs> <I hate it. laughs> but, 
Great job starting off with Jackson Norris. I think that this is a great role by Scoot McNary. Um, I am going to hit number nine, and I'm really going to, like, you know, hit the ground running here um, with this character. And the character is Tom Purcell from True Detective Season 3. Now, True Detective is a really fantastic series. Um, Season 1 is the best, which Scoot wasn't in. Um, Instead, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson were in Season 1. And that I will admit, like, that's the best season. And Season 2 is kind of trash. Like, I still can't get through it. Because each season's a different story with different characters, you know. So you don't need to, like, watch it in order or anything like that. So anyway, Season 3 um, stars Scoot McNary and Mahershala Ali. And I apologize if I still can't pronounce his name, which I hate because he's a fantastic actor. And um, I'm a huge fan of his. I just, for some reason, I feel like I always fuck up his first name. But um, so the whole premise is that Scoot plays uh, Tom Purcell, who's like this very, like, I don't even know how to describe him, like blue collar sort of guy. You know, he works as like a mechanic and he has these two children. He's in like this very loveless marriage. And the first episode, his two kids are like, hey, we're going to go take our bikes and go somewhere. And, you know, Tom's like, all right, just make sure you're back before sundown. And the kids never return before sundown. And that's when then Mahershala Ali gets on the case because he's the lead detective. And they're trying to find the children. And spoiler alert, at some point, uh, one of his son, uh, Tom's son, turns up dead. And the way that Scoot acted with this character is just so good because it's such a man who really has nothing, right? Uh, He already, you could tell, kind of like a grumpy sort of person. And, you know, him and he explains at some point that him and his wife, like, only knew each other for, like, three months before she got pregnant. And, you know, they got married because that's, you know, quote, unquote, the right thing to do. And she's always off with other men and friends and everything. So they don't even sleep in the same room together as each other. so they're very much like not even really loving each other and his but he loves his kids and he's so heartbroken especially after finding out that his son dies you know he is purposely getting drunk purposely getting into confrontations he you know tells the detectives that he wants to die and it's really just like you believe that this is a man who literally has like nothing to live for and The interesting thing with True Detective is that it usually does, like, time jumps. So at some point in the season, it's been, like, 10 years since the disappearance of his daughter, who he still doesn't know, you know, where she is. And at this point, Tom is, like, you know, a recovering alcoholic. He's, like, uh, very religious now at this point of completely, like, 180 of what his character was. And at some point, they get, like, a tip of uh, his daughter, right? Like, they have a description of a girl who is would be the proper age who, you know, stole something from a convenience store. They have a picture, and it leads Tom to believe, like, oh, my God, my daughter could be out there. And 
he uh, makes a plea to the public to come home. And it's really sad because at that point, because you find out later, like, the daughter had been kidnapped and brainwashed and everything. So the daughter, like, calls and says, like, that's not her father. Like, you know, whoever that man is telling to stop, like, looking for me, blah, blah. And then suddenly it, like, leads the detectives to be like, did you have anything to do with your daughter's disappearance? And he is just, like, so heartbroken by that because he's like first of all he and like the other detective had formed a friendship and he's like how could you even like think that of me and also like that's my daughter like what is uh, going on um and it's such a great character like so the, emotion, the emotions that scoot really brought to this character was amazing and i i don't know if he did get nominated for anything if he didn't get nominated that like it's insane because he was so good in that freaking show and in that season um and he has a much bigger role than like you would think because scoot often has like these roles where he pops up but he has a pretty consistent role in the third season of true detective my heart's sad now tia <laughs> it is a sad character it really is like there is virtually no joy in this character i know i thought that like remember his like racist outburst like in the so there is some I, I was gonna say there's at some point where he gets really drunk and he um gets picked up by the other detective who works alongside Mahershala Ali's character and as they're in the car Tom says a very racist remark against Mahershala's character and then he feels like really bad about it because he's like really drunk and he's like oh my god I can't believe I told I said that he's like don't tell him I said that please don't tell him that I said that and like they even have a pause as they're talking about other things and then he's just like please don't tell him I said that oh, like <laughs> he's just so pathetic <laughs> which you yeah. know not me so <laughs> I felt so bad for him because of like it's like that dude had one thing after another, like, each time. And it's like, the poor dude just couldn't catch a break. And the craziest thing about all of this is that, and as I said, like, spoiler alert, but you find out that the kid's disappearance was all orchestrated by his wife. Um, So that's even crazier. It is fucking crazy it really was so i just love that role like what scoot brought to that role is like holy shit like tom is one of my favorite characters just because like it was so emotional um and i felt that whole season was good like again season one of true detective was definitely the best like i will say that like unequivocally unequivocally i can't even say the word um but like without a doubt right like the best but season it really comes like in a very close second there because it's not just like Scoot's character that's great. Mahershala's character is awesome playing this like detective struggling with Alzheimer's down the line. Uh, really good. Really fantastic. So, yeah. So number nine is going to be Tom Purcell. Uh, Brittany, what's your number eight? I think I'm going to go with. Uh... I think I'm going to go ahead and go with Bill McNew. <laughs> Oh, I love Bill. Love it. <laughs> so, um, I'm trying to think of where to begin with it. So, Bill McNew is uh, it, it from Godless. And Godless is about, uh, you know, it's like an old western, and there is this town, but it was a mining town. 
And most of the, like, men in this town worked at the mine. Well, there was, like, a collapse, and all the men died. So basically, this is a town almost entirely made up of women and just, uh, I guess, men that whose occupation wasn't mining. That's correct, right? Right. Yep. And so it's like he, Bill McNew, was the sheriff. And so basically he's the sheriff of this uh, town made up entirely of women. And and he's like struggling this entire time. And he, he's old and he's grumpy. But the thing is, is that his sight is going. Um, you know, he can't hardly see, you know, uh, I think he does have a point where somebody has him try on glasses and it hurts his eyes, but he's like, oh, the prescription's really strong, but, you know, he ends up being able to see a lot better than he did, but thing is, with being the sheriff of this town, he really tries to hide the fact that he can't see, and, uh, there's, and there's a lot other going on in the movie, like, uh, well, it's technically a TV show, isn't it? But it like almost like a, I'm sorry, it was a mini series. It was only like six episodes. Yeah, and uh, it maybe it gave me Deadwood vibes. By the way, like a lot, I was like, this is amazing. But uh, you know, he's basically trying to protect these women, and um, I'm trying to think. Oh, he comes to that town because there's a there's the bad guy, you know, with his outlaws who he's trying to hunt down this man that one of the women took in. And, uh, cause did he steal from them? Was that the entire thing? That one guy. So the guy who, um, the bad guys are looking for used to say like, quote unquote, run with them. And then he finally decided that he didn't want to anymore cause they were bad people. And so, um, he did take the money that, um, they had like taken from like a stagecoach robbing. Okay, yeah, that's, I, I was trying to think, but, so, he's, this bad guy is basically going to come to this town and destroy it, because he's looking for that guy, and he knows that there's only, basically, women there, there's no one to defend, assuming that these women will, you know, basically roll over, you know, and so, Bill McNew's character is trying to prevent that, and, well, he has his little, uh, his little, uh, little right-hand man who uh, is this guy that doesn't really want to take a bath, but he's young. He's, like, a little more than a teenager, right? Like, a young adult, and, you know, them going along, but uh, I think it's just cute that, like, and he has uh, two kids, but I think his wife died giving birth to their youngest, and he's very awkward with his uh, youngest child. He's always leaving his children with his sister, uh, who, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, like, she's very, like, rambunctious, like, she's very, like, straight nose, like, very, like, get shit done, she is, like, she is holding down the fort of this town, while the sheriff uh, is always running off, but, uh, you know, he does have those issues, you know, with his wife passing away, and, you know, he's very, uh, he's very closed off in a bunch of ways, but he has a crush on, who does he have a crush on again? So he has a crush on the woman who took in the guy that the bad guy is looking for. Um, Yeah, he definitely, he has a crush. He says at some point to her, he goes, I don't know if uh, my wife isn't coming to me in my dreams as often because, you know, I'm moving on or because 
you're like replacing her in those dreams, something like that. Oh, that was, it was so cute, though. I was like, but then like, doesn't that guy walk up or something? That, <laughs> like, it, just, just as Bill's like confessing his undying love, is that's when like he co- the guy comes up and Bill's just like, what? But I do like in the series that it's like. Uh, he, 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 there's like a story where uh, basically the ghost of a Native American is coming to him, and you don't know the person's a ghost until like the end, spoiler alert. Uh, but basically, guiding him through this journey of trying to protect these women and protect this town, and you know he tells him he's a man without shadow, without a shadow. He's a man without purpose, and. You know, I think it's like he's basically been running away from stuff, but in the final showdown where Bill McNew finally gets back to the town, which, by the way, the town's already being attacked by the time he gets there. Like, I can't can't remember what he was off doing before all of this. So if he was tracking people, trying to find this guy, or what was basically going down. But, you know, he uh, he gets there a little late. But the women are holding down the fort. Like, they are like, they are like, very like this is our town and you know just trying to learn how to protect themselves from these men but i love when he bill mcnew comes up there and suddenly his shadow is back and he suddenly goes full badass but i was like this is perfect this is like a full redemption arc of a man that lost the love of his life and basically he he's not cowardly but he's very like probably doesn't care about things the way that he should and to see him come back and kind of have that redemption was really really awesome um so i love westerns i think we've even done like a top 10 westerns before and i have to say like this shootout at the end of the season is one of my like favorite shootouts in a Western. I think it's so badass because as you said, you have all of the women just like absolutely holding down the fort being so mother effing badass in it. Um, especially Marta. If you remember Marta. (laughs) And I love when like everything's kind of seeming as if, uh, you know, the bad guys could get, say, an upper hand. That's when, like, Bill comes, and he's just, like, standing there, and he just, like, starts going at it, and because te- and the other guy, like, they're working together, and he's like, I ain't blind yet. <laughs> um, and I love, like, his thing is that he wants to make sure that he does everything before he, say, like, completely loses his sight, but... The thing about Bill is that, like, when we first meet Bill, he's very, like, down in the dumps, but, you know, because his wife passed away, and he has to take care of this whole entire town, and, you know, the women of the town don't really necessarily like him that much, because he's always... Because he's always running off and they don't realize the reason why he's always running off is that he's trying to like, because he goes to say a Native American village to always try and get like treatment for his eyes. His sister knows this, but the others don't. So they just think, oh, there's the sheriff running off. But Whitey, who is the one who smells really badly, (laughs) 
he tells the other guy, he was like, yeah, he was like, Bill, you know, took a shot in the hip and kept going and da-da-da, like, you know, tells this, like, really grand story. Um, And the guy's like, wait, the same sheriff that, like, looks as if he's, like, you know, wanting to walk himself off of a cliff or something? Like, that guy? Um, And you even find out that Bill saved the woman um, you know, from being, like, raped by these other people and shit like that. So, like, Bill, you know, he was a good shot, and he is, like, a very good sheriff. It's just that life has kicked him so many times that, like, he just can't get up anymore, right? Um, But I love his character. He, like, loved his wife, and, you know, you feel bad because he has this very awkward relationship with his daughter, even though his sister's just like, can you just talk to her, you know? But I love his, oh, my God, I love his sister so much. I love when he comes back and he, like, looks at her because you find out, like, the sister, her husband had also died. And I think her husband was, like, the mayor of the town. So that kind of, like, puts her in a position of power, really. And she's wearing, like, her, you know, deceased husband's, like, clothes right and he's like is that his bridges and she's like yep i'm wearing his you know his gun too blah blah and he's just like looking at her like so like horrified and she's like have you ever worn a corset bill she was like you put on one right now and shit like pretty much telling him like don't you fucking tell me how to dress you know or i love like there's this one scene because you find out like the sister is in a relationship with um like the teacher in the town and he and bill like before he sets off on his adventure he goes to drop off his children at his sister's and the the teacher like opens up the door and she's like naked pretty much and he's like ah, uh, where's my sister and she's like oh she's off shooting quail for breakfast and he goes to like see his sister and he's like you ain't uh you ain't maternal no more something like that like he's just like what the fuck is going on i i love by the way speaking of mata is uh so basically for the for the for the listeners marta was uh she's german and apparently, you know, she was married to someone, and I don't know if they were, like, abusive or, like, just, like, heavily possessive of her, like, basically, like, a trophy, and she ran away, and she came to this town, and she's very artistic, she likes, because she, she likes to paint, right, that, that was the whole thing, and, uh, Basically, there's this man looking for her, and he has a picture of her, and he's like, you know, he came to hunt her down because the husband paid him to uh, basically bring her back home, you know, like bring his uh, bring his toy back home, basically. And the thing was, is though this guy, this guy, he ends up getting like what, like shot in the leg, and he's like, wait, 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 because they're like gonna go, and he's like, I'm not here to bring you back, you know, I was, and he's like. Like, he pulls out the picture, and he tells her about how, you know, he's carried this picture in his pocket for basically weeks, you know, months, you know, looking for her, and that he's fallen in love with her, you know, he doesn't want to, like, bring her back, he just wanted, like, basically meet her, and she was like... He even, like, learns German for her. Like, this man is so obsessed. 
together like you can tell that they've like been in that cabin or whatever of hers and like you know poise post and like current coital bliss um and then when like you know they start you know going up against like the bad guys and everything you just see him and first of all he's like in his pajamas so again like they were like doing the dirty constantly and he's like marta marta <laughs> just like do her thing right he was like you go on baby you got this which she did she was like a great shot like i love um i love when all the women are preparing for the bad guys to come into town and like Bill's sister is giving everyone a gun and telling them like where they should position themselves. And when Marta comes, she's like, you can go wherever you want. Like, I I know you, you're a badass. Like you go wherever you want. <laughs> I loved it. I loved Godless. And I thought Bill was like a great character. Just like the, like, worldly worn sort of guy that he played and um i loved how again his whole thing is like trying to because he really did care about all the women in the town and just trying to like do his best by them even though it sometimes didn't seem that way to them and him like trying to battle against his like you know like blindness and everything um, I really love that. I, I just thought it was, like, a great thing. I was going to say something. I completely forgot, like, where I was going with this. But really quick before we move on, there's this one scene where, like, he's tracking the bad guy. And he thinks that they can't see him. And he goes to, like, splash his face in a lake. And you look around, and there's the – I think the bad guy's name is Frank. And you see, yeah. like, Frank – and you see Frank with, like, all his men are just there. And Bill's just, like, clutching his um, jacket because his, like, sheriff badge is there. And he doesn't want them to see it. And he's just like, oh, he's like, I was on my way to, like, Wyoming and everything. And they're like, oh, why are you, you know, clenching your uh, your jacket? You know, are you cold or something? He's like, oh, no, I'm just hiding a big-ass gun, you know, and shit. Yeah. And then finally Frank's like, are you the law? And, like, Bill just looks at him and, like, lets go of his jacket so that his, you know, his badge can show. And he's like, I am. (laughs) And he's, and Frank's like. I am that man. (laughs) (laughs) And Frank's like, do you want me to kill you? And Bill goes, he's like, nah, I'm going to kill you first, you know? And, like, it just, (laughs) Bill's like. What did you say? I can't believe Frank let him go. I guess Frank in that moment was just like, you know what, you're one guy and you're kind of like ballsy, but you're kind of also stupid, so I'm just going to let you go. But that was the worst decision Frank could have done because Bill came back and he was a badass. So I love Bill. Bill's such a great um, character. So good job, Brittany, for number eight. Um I am going to hit the number seven. <sighs> 
Do you have any of his characters that the name starts with a D? Uh, I think I know what you're talking about. Does it involve mannequins? Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I have I have plenty other ones. If you have him, I can go with someone else. I have plenty of others, too. Do, do your thing, girl. Do it. Do it. I, I'm going to put someone else down. I'm going to put someone else down. You can put him down. Because um, I, I really like this character that I'm about to say, even though it's, like, such a, like, probably no-name character. So the character that I want to highlight right now is Frankie. Um, and Frankie – so Scoot McNary played Frankie in this – um, movie called Killing Them Softly w- that also stars um, Brad Pitt and James Gandolfini and the whole thing like takes place I believe in um, I think it's Boston or like somewhere in Massachusetts and it's like right at the height of the recession when people are like really poor and shit like that and um you have Frankie. Oh, and Ben Mendelsohn is in it as well. So anyway, you have Frankie. Everyone's who, like, in it. Everyone's in it. So you have Frankie who, like, just got out of prison. He's looking for work. He can't find work. So he goes back to, like, you know, the guy who um, had given him, like, you know, jobs, quote, unquote, in the past. And the guy, like, offers him, you know, this uh, this opportunity to pretty much rob a poker game and he says that it's like the perfect thing to do because the poker game is ran by um oh god who is oh my god who's the guy who is in goodfellas in goodfellas um like a monster <laughs> yeah why am i for the main guy in goodfellas let me look let me look oh i'll figure it out Okay, so the whole reason why they why um the guy tells Frankie that this is the perfect opportunity is because the guy who runs the poker game had previously in the past robbed his own poker game. So they wait, wait, wait. he said Is it is it Robert De Niro or Joe Pesky? You mean Pesci? Um the other one. Robert Go- De Niro? No. Godalus. Uh, Ray Liotta? That, that one. Ray Liotta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got you. Um, so, you know, so they say, like, it'd be the perfect game to rob because Ray Liotta's character had previously robbed his own game. So if it happens the second time, they're just going to think that it was him again, and they're not going to think that someone else orchestrated it. So Frankie enlists the help of Ben Mendelsohn's character, who's an absolute fucking mess, to rob these people, and they rob them. And it all goes to shit when frickin' Ben Mendelsohn's character, who's, like, a big dopehead, um, accidentally, like, you know, lets it out that to someone else that he robbed this game. So then the people who got robbed hire Brad Pitt's character, who's this, like, bounty hunter, you know, assassin, to pretty much, like, stalk them and kill them and shit like that. And I, like, Frankie's character... Which is terrifying. And the whole thing that's terrifying is that, you know, Brad Pitt's character is, like, 
you know, I like to kill them softly, like from a distance. He's like, I hate, you know, getting up close and they and they beg and they all cry for their mother. And he's like, I don't like it. He's like, so, you know, I, I from a distance so they don't know what's happening. You know, I like to kill them softly is what he says. Um, and at some Fucked point, up. you know, he kills it's fucked up because at some point he's like, okay, we have to kill Ray Liotta's character. And the guy who's employing him is like, why? He's like, we already know that it wasn't Ray Liotta's character. He's like, yeah, but like other people think it's Ray Liotta's character. He's like, and it's disrespectful. He's like, it's all about reputation. He's like, you know, he goes, I know he didn't do it. He's like, but, you know, we, we got to do it anyway. He's like, it's it's important for, you know, this and everything. Yeah, it's really fucked up. But anyway, so Scoot plays Frankie, who is, like, so young, and he's so, like, this, I don't even know how to describe it. He's, like, this fast talker, like, so ridiculous, because in the beginning of the movie, when he's, like, talking to the guy who, like, gives him the jobs, he's, like, he's, like, I've been out of jail. He's, like, you know, and there's nothing to do. He's, like, you know, I go to that place that, you know, is supposed to help you get jobs, and they're, like, oh, here's a job, but, you know, you need a car, and he's, like, I don't got a car. He was, like, how am I supposed to get to this place? He was, like, what do you think I need a job for so I can get a car? He was, like, he's, like, I don't know, he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. He's like, soon, he's like, you know, it's getting so cold, I'm going to go up back to jail and knock on the doors and be like, I can't survive out here, let me back in. Like, yeah, just the way he talks, like, fucking cracks me up. But his, like, relationship with Ben Mendelsohn's character, again, who's, like, an absolute fucking sweaty mess, like, literally, like, the character looks like he's sweating, like, 24-7. Um, I and I remember that. It was so funny as having not like seen seen the movie. I still remember Sweaty Man Squirrel. I think was his name. Uh no, the guy who employs them is Squirrel. So oh, yeah. I forget like what his name is, but yeah, he's like always sweating. Which it's it's funny. I know this is like so random. It's such like a background thing, but. Apparently, those two, Scoot and Ben, are, like, really big friends in real life, and before they, like, filmed Killing Them Softly, they decided to get an apartment together during that time, because they were like, oh, and I was like, that's so adorable, I fucking love that, but, um, anyway, so Frankie's character, who's, like, this really, just, like, so he's really anxious now at this point. Because once he finds out that his the guy you know Ben's character like leaks out what really happened, he's like, oh my god, they're gonna come for me, you know, blah blah blah. You fucking idiot! Like, what did you do? He's like, oh my god, you know, blah blah. blah. And he's like so nervous about the whole thing. And the conclusion of like his character is he's in the bar, and Brad Pitt's like character comes in. He's like, yeah, I'm I'm looking for you, like Frankie. And he's like, listen, Frankie. He's like, your friends are worried about you. He was like. He's like, you can just help, you know, tell me where Squirrel is. He is like, and, you know, you don't have to die. Like, you can live. You don't have to die. And Frankie's like, oh, I feel really bad, you know, Squirrel, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, Brad, uh, Brad's character's like, you know, pretty much talks him in to showing him where Squirrel is so he can kill him. And he tells, then he tells Frankie, okay, like, we're going to go get the car and you're going to go and blah, 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 blah. Like, pretty much, like, really convinces Frankie that he's going to let him live. And just as, like, Brad Pitt's character gets out of the car and they're supposed to be switching seats and everything, then he just, like, comes out from the back and, like, shoots Frankie in the head. And I was like, poor Frankie, you were so cute. 
Poor, you were naive, so stupid Frankie. That's exactly what it was. It was like, you think that Frankie's going to live and like Brad Pitt's character just goes up. So yeah, number seven is definitely Frankie. I love this fucking character. You know, it's funny. It's like, he was like, I guess he's the epitome of the dude that got wrapped up in bad stuff and just can't find a way out of it. But also an interesting point on, like, how hard it is to get, like, a job after, like, prison and how he's like, I'm going to starve out here. It's just better to go back, you know, instead of, like, starve or be cold. Which is what I think is, like, so many people, like, you know, wrestle with when in that situation. And this is, like, right in, like, recession time, you know, in, like, working class America. And, like, Brad Pitt's character even says at some point, um, he's like, America's not a country. It's, like, a business or something like that. Um, And it's, like, it's just crazy. The film is, like, fucking nuts to me. And I, I really liked it. It was definitely maybe not, like say the best sort of gangster film or anything but i thought brad pitt was really good as this like very cold-hearted assassin um and i just like scoot's character because he's so young and so just like the epitome of like beep it a boop it a bop i loved it so yeah number seven is definitely frankie from killing them softly uh, Brittany, what is your number six? Uh, let me see here. I, I'm probably going to go ahead and do the one you were about to say so we can go ahead and have it. Let me see here. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, God, now I can't remember the movie. I can't remember the movie. Wait. Was, is this, was it from, so who's the character? You tell me Don. the character, I'll tell you. Don? Okay, so I'm from Frank. From Frank. Now, Tia showed me this movie, and this movie is fucking weird, by the way. Can we just get that out of the way? Like, it's it's really good, but it is weird. And so, Frank is about, you know, this band getting together, like, there's already this existing band, and the head guy of it, head, because he he wears a giant mache, like, paper mache head, and he never takes it off. And the, this dude's like the the lead guy of the band. And what is what is Don? Is he the manager? So Don is the current manager, but you find out at some point that he was like the first keyboardist for the band, and then he was just like the manager. By the way, Frank is played by Michael Fassbender, which is really funny to me. But everybody's like, oh, you know, Frank has his shit together. And Don even has a thing where he's like, oh, he wants to be Frank. Everybody wants to be Frank. And he's like, because Frank's got his stuff together. Frank's not depressed. Frank isn't this. You know, he just always has it together. And you find out, you know, Don is heavily depressed. He is very depressed. And um, he, he, I, I guess what I like about him is, like, he is so odd, but I will go ahead and get this out there. Um, the odd thing about uh, Don is he uh, he has a thing for mannequins. I, 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 uh, I just say it. Just let it out. What does Frank say about it again? Like, isn't he the one that tells him about, like, Oh, it's basically, I don't know why he fucks mannequins. I'll go ahead and say it. I don't know why 
he sleeps with mannequins, but he does, Tia. He does. <laughs> oh, my God. I wasn't expecting that either when I first watched Frank, and he was just like, because the scene is, like, to me, the scene is so funny because the whole thing is, like, you have this character, John, who's a fan of the band, and after they're, like, previous keyboardist tries to off himself in a in a ocean they need a new keyboardist so they bring john along and you know john is obviously so like confused by frank because he has this like paper mache head and he's so like you know um like that's so odd right he doesn't take it off and don is like yeah he never takes it off but you know believe me when i say that he is like the sanest person that i have ever met in my life and and then don goes like but i'm fucking crazy and john is like no you seem like a perfectly like functioning human being and he's like oh no i used to fuck mannequins (laughs) (laughs) a psych ward anyways what did you say Ain't that Frank in a psych ward, right? Yeah, you find that out later that the two of them met because they were in a psychiatric hospital together. But just, like, the line delivery of Don going, I used to fuck mannequins, and the look on John's face, and Don going, it's a condition. <laughs> it's a condition. I'm just like, he's so funny. And, like, his comedic time so good, but I do feel bad for him because it's like, he does end up trying to kill himself at some point in the movie, and, you know, he he runs, and he's like, what does he say? He's like, I don't want to be me. I don't want to be me, and I felt yeah. that so sad, and, like, you know, at the end, you know, which, spoiler alert, when you come into these sort of things, you know, uh, he does end up killing himself, and the way that they do find him is he's wearing, he's wearing Frank's paper mache head, right? Was it that one, yeah. or, like, did he make his own? Well, Frank has, like, two. You do see at some point that, like, there is another one. Like, Frank is literally taking a shower with the paper mache head just, like, wrapped into, like, a plastic bag. But he has, like, another one on the floor. So I'm guessing he, like, maybe, like, switches. That's what I was saying. Like, it is so sad because it's, like, you realize how bad he wants to be Frank. Not And more of a place of admiration more than anything. But you do find out, you know, Frank does it of his own issues. Because doesn't that one dude force him to take off the, the head? And then, like, he ends up, like, falling into a Great Depression because it's, like, you know, he doesn't know basically what to do with himself. Yeah, so the whole thing is, like, with Frank, it's, like, he's so even keel. He's very, like, you know, kind, and, you know, he gives, like, great advice, which I think is why everyone, like, gravitates towards him. But he also, you know, has to operate within this, like, safe space, right? And when John, like, comes in, John is pretty much, like, forcing them to, like, try and get bigger, try and do this, and, like, which opens you up to, like, criticism that, you know, they weren't used to before, and, like, Frank can't handle that and i think john at some point does like yell at him and says like take off the fucking you know mask or something like that and you know frank i think goes like back to his parents house and he's you know very like uh you know depressed and everything like that but you know i have to say really quick i'm sorry to interrupt you but to me like one of the like best things about the film even though like it's sad is like it's also 
like, don't judge people because John is, like, so convinced that Frank wears, you know, this mask because he had a fucked up childhood and he has, like, no parents and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, like, you find out his parents are, like, two, like, really nice people and he grew up in a really nice house and they're, like, nothing wrong happened to, you know, Frank. He just has a mental illness. Yeah. And it's because, it, like, it's always, like... I guess making the point that there's not always someone to blame. Sometimes that's just like how people are. Right. I think that was very much like the. Yeah. Sorry. By the way, if you heard me like almost kind of laugh for a second, it was because as I was talking about the serious matter, one of the kittens ran by and just completely wrapped up on my arm and started biting <laughs> so hard. I was like, please don't laugh during the serious moment. Don't laugh. <laughs> I was like, I literally am just getting torn up by by little Dory. And he just was like, you know what? I'm going to like, like do the whole like, bite into your arm and like, shake their head like they're trying to rip your flesh off. <laughs> Side to know that that little side note, that little uh, what's it called, that little blooper. It's perfectly fine. Um, but yeah, no, I love Don. Um, as you said, like he has such great comedic timing, but also like super sad because when they do get to that, say, like secluded forest area where they're supposed to be creating their music um i think like pretty much that first night is when don tries to kill himself and he is he's saying like i don't want to be me i don't want to be alive i don't want to be me you know and it's like that's so super sad you know um and like oh he just does that sometimes like they almost like brush it off in a way yeah, I think they just know, like, Don is just very depressed and has a lot of, like, depression problems. It doesn't seem, like, very, like, shocking to any of them. And Frank seems especially, like, you know, hey, like, just give Don, like, a second and all that. Like, he'll, which, to me, like, with their band, it seems like all of them kind of have their own thing. And they're all, like, really accepting of it, which is where I think that John is the problem. Because John tries to make them quote-unquote normal and it's like they're not you know and they all kind of like accept that and live with him he tries to mainstream them he he does and that's the problem and it's like they're not mainstream like they're them you know and they're doing this because not even to get bigger that was the thing like john was like oh i can make them big you know blah blah blah. and it's like not really that i think more so like that's just therapy for all them you know um there is at some point uh, to me i thought it was like a great scene where they because the thing is they rented like this cabin right and fucking um what you calls it you find out that like don ran out of money and he hasn't been paying for the cabin and these like other people like this family comes because they rented out the cabin and shit and like don is freaking out because he was like i He's like, I ran out of money. He was like, and I can't pay for the cabin anymore. He's like, and, you know, now these people are here for these vacate for a vacation. I don't know what to do. And, like, Frank just takes the woman out. And you don't even hear what they're saying. You just see, like, at first, like, him talking to her with his hand on her shoulder and her, like, crying at first. And then next thing you know, they're just, like, kind of swinging around together. And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) Like whatever Frank said. <laughs> just a trip. No, movie is just a trip to you. 
It's fucking strange. It really is, but I do love it, and I love the character of Don just because I'm like, I'll say last thing is that I think you can see Don throughout because when you first meet Don, he has his, like, hat on. He has, like, a button-down shirt. He's, you know, like, at least looking put together. And as they're at the cabin, um, you know, like, more and more he's, like, wearing, you know, sweaters. His hair is disheveled. You know, he looks like he has very dark circles his eyes and he says like oh we're gonna finish this album no matter what and you know they did finish the album and then he kills himself so it's like and um at some point they go to texas right and frank has a eulogy where he says like you know don i know you were homesick and i know you really wanted to go home but you stayed in england for me um, he's like, so now you're home, pretty much. So I, the whole thing was just like, oh my god, this is so sad. I, it's like it's so odd, and it has its funny, goofy moments. So I guess it's like it is like jarring when there is those serious, sad moments. It definitely is one of those things where it is a dark comedy. And I think it does well with that. So I suggest for anyone out there who's listening, like, Frank is a good film. It's really strange, but I think the message behind it's really good. I'll say one last thing. I'm sorry. Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal is in this film, and there was an interview where she said that at first she turned the role down because she was like, this is so fucking weird. Like, I don't want to be in this. And she says that... Um, once she went home, she couldn't stop thinking about the role. And after like, you know, a day or two, she called her agent back and she was like, please tell me that role is still available. And they were like, yeah, it is. So it's just one of those films that I think, I think it really grows on you, but great job, Brittany, um, for number six, I'm going to take number five. I'm sorry if I'm taking someone who is on your list. I hope you have more. (laughs) You're good. I have, like, six or seven that I have, like, all laid out. Oh, damn, girl. Oh, damn. <laughs> so I, I'm going to talk about the character off the Scoot McNary obsession. Brittany teased him at the beginning of this show, and it is Rob Novak from Sleepless. Now, Sleepless yes. is, a, this is a 2017 movie that got really poor reviews, made shit money, and I don't know why because I thought it's a great fucking movie. Like, Paul and I watched it, and we were like, oh my god, the left it off, so left it off for, like, a sequel. And we really liked it, and when I saw that it made, like, pretty much no money, the reviews were so terrible, I was like, what did they watch? Like, I thought yeah. it was great. Oh. <laughs> I was <sorry. laughs> No, I was just laughing, I just really love this character a lot. I like it. it did literally spark the entire thing. Well, so the thing is, is that um, David Harper is also in, and Brittany and I originally watched it for David Harbour, right? And yeah. you know, the whole thing is like you have Jamie Foxx's character, who's a cop, and. Um, you know, he's investigating this whole, like, uh, you know, drug corruption, blah, blah, blah. 
And during, like, one thing, he accidentally stole, like, coke from uh, the Novaks, which are these really, like, this really scary drug family in Las Vegas. And um, they, you know, uh, kidnap, like, you know, his son and everything, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, the crazy thing is, so you have Rob Novak played by Scoot McNary, and the first scene that you're introduced to him in is he has this guy and just his boxers hanging from like a batting cage from like the fields with one like ball, you know, um, baseballs getting like, you know, thrown into his stomach by one of those like machines. And I thought it was like a soccer goal, but then I was like, a like, but I was like, I don't think that's it. So I think it was like one of those like things to catch the ball when they're being shot at you. Right. And Rob is just like sitting there like threatening the guy saying like, you know, you, um, you know, uh, blab to the DEA and one of my labs shut down. I lost all this fucking coke and all this money. And now I have to, you know, go to stay, um, you know, who I fucking hate, you know, for money and uh, not for money, for extra coke and blah, blah, blah. I know that the guy that he's like torturing his is his cousin and he is like you know threatening him he's fucking like putting a gun in his mouth he's spitting at him he's just so angry and then at the end of it he's like he tells one of his guys like you know cut out his tongue make sure he can't use it again and it's like that's his fucking cousin this guy is nuts and it's like you can tell like like rob is rob novak is so dangerous he's always so angry he's like a fucking second away from just killing someone. And it's like, I have never seen a character with such like red, like red underneath their eye, which you're like, this guy doesn't, you're like, this guy doesn't sleep at all. Sorry. Go ahead, Brittany. No, I was just saying it was funny that uh, it's called Sleepless, maybe. Maybe that's why. Cause maybe is- that's why he just doesn't fucking <laughs> <even> sleep. <laughs> yeah. I, I do like with, like, Rob Novak that it's, like, I remember it took, like, a couple of viewings before we were, like, if you'll realize, like, Stanley, right, when yeah. he tests the coke, he puts it in a vial and, like, wants to test the purity because it's, like, very, like, oh, he doesn't use it. But with Rob, he, like, rubs it into his gums and instantly, like, oh, this is sugar. It was, like, baking soda or something. I'm like, yeah, this dude's definitely coked out, like, 24-7. Because look at his eyes. He does not sleep. And doesn't coke, like, keep you up? Yes. So he's definitely, like, he's coked out. Like, constantly. Yeah, no, when you pointed that out, because I hadn't caught on, I was like, wow, Brittany, that's, like, a really good thing to point out. Um, But his character is so fucking terrifying. Like, anytime he meets Stanley, because you could tell he can't stand Stanley. Um, He, like, this fucking guy. And he, at some point, because Stanley's supposed to give Rob coke, and that's the coke that Jamie Foxx's character has. And Rob is just like goddamn cocaine he is like where is my fucking okay to the point where like he like you know hits golf balls into like stanley's like tv at some point in the movie he like literally grabs him by the fucking balls in the middle of his like casino he like so crazy he's so crazy like literally drags him by the hair throughout and shit and like like rob is fucking crazy but the craziest thing is that you can tell that he's like not I guess scared of his dad because when he's on the phone with him he's like so like calm he's like yes sir 
yes, sir. And then he gets off, he, like, tells his, like, bodyguard, he, like, looks so solemn, he's like, my dad said that if we don't have the cocaine in four hours, like, he's cutting his vacation short. And it's like, you could tell that's not a good fucking thing. Like, that's not a good thing at all. Um, My favorite, one of my favorite scenes, though, is that, like, everyone in the movie is, like, to me, rightfully so, um, very terrified of Rob Novak because he's so fucking intense. But my favorite scene is when him and David Harbour's character, Doug Dennison, are in the elevator together, and it shuts, and Rob turns to him, and he's like, are you fucking with me right now? Because you find out that Doug Dennison, who's a cop, is also on the Novak's payroll. And Doug, like, talks back to him. He's just like, don't you fucking threaten me. He was like, because I got a little file on my desk. He's like, and if I go down, your whole fucking family goes down, too. And you see, like, Rob is so pissed. He's like, we pay you a lot of money to do your job. He's like, so do your fucking job. Like, oh, I love Rob. I love Rob's, like, character in this, like, so fucking good. Um, like my one thing, and before I pass it to you, I'm sorry. My one thing okay. that I wish they would have explored is why Rob's character has such bad scars on his neck and his yeah, arm. Explain that. Never, they, not even once. They never explain it. Um, I guess like they thought, oh, that wasn't that pivotal to the plot, but it was enough that you added it to his character. You know, you didn't need to. Like his character was dangerous enough, was scary looking enough without the scars. It's like so yeah. if you took the time to like do that in makeup, it would have been nice to know. My personal opinion, this is my thing, is that I think at some point he was like cooking meth and like it blew up or something. That's my like uh my back background for that. My the only thing I could have thought of else besides that was like, oh, that place like basically like was like on fire or something after they stole that stuff, but he wouldn't have been able to recover that quickly. Like, and he would have had to know, like, oh, that's why his coke went missing. But I just, I, I want to know too. Like, was it an accident? Was it, you know, I, I want to know. The people want to know, uh, Tia. The people want to know. You had a good uh, theory as well. I think you said like if he was in a drunk driving accident, because remember his character doesn't drink. Like, yeah. he says that Stanley. He's like, now, Stanley, you know, I don't drink. Which is kind of like, pick your, I guess he's like, he took pick your poison to the literal sense. <laughs> like, he's like, I'm going to do cocaine a lot, but I'm not going to drink. <laughs> I, I would do anything but that, apparently. <laughs> but, uh, Brittany, yeah, you definitely told me about this character and was like, you're going to fucking love this character. And I guess I didn't remember. And I went back to you and I was like, yeah, I know we watched this for David Harbour, but there's this villain in it. <laughs> I, he is so great. He's so scary. And it's like, yep. Mm-hmm. Called it. Called it. You called I know it. But. <laughs> what are your thoughts about Rob Novak from Sleepless? He definitely was like at first when I watched it, I was like, golly, I was like, this guy like it is, you know, with how many actors and characters we like, sometimes it's hard to find one that you're like like just as much as your other ones. But he was great. Like, I instantly was like, this dude's on my radar being a scary fuck. And literally when I watched it, I was like, okay. 
I don't. I can either look up who, what else he was in, or wait for Tia to get obsessed and tell me everything <laughs> he acted in and send me gifts of it. I was like, I'll wait for that. And lo and behold, my uh, my uh, it's like my uh, my tree borth brute. <laughs> yes, yes. I was like, is that the correct thing? Uh, but. Um, no, you were, like, completely right. Like, I definitely felt it. I was just like, who is this guy? I love this character. I love this actor now. I need to know everything he's been. Because the thing is, is that, like, you know, I feel that Scoop McNary has a really good, like, like a great ability to be a chameleon when it comes to his characters and really like transform into them so that each character feels different than the others. But like Rob Novak feels so much different from the others. To me, he's almost like virtually unrecognizable because of how like fucking terrifying he is. Um, cause, you know, the thing is like, we love so many actors, right? Um, yeah. And, like, actors, like, say, Frank Grillo. Like, we love Frank Grillo. We love the shit that he's been in. But for the most part, he always kind of plays the same character, which is fine. Like, I don't hate it, you know? I yeah. still get like, really excited when I see that, like, Frank Grillo is going to be in, in something. But for, like, the most part, it's, like, kind of the same. But, like, Scoot McNary has such different characters, like, you know, Rob and uh, freaking Bill Jackson, Frankie, like all so different. Yeah, all and then have been different, like way yeah, different. Even like I don't know if you have him on your list, so I'm not going to say him really like a lot. But like even remember his character Maurice. Wait, oh, I forgot about Maurice, the one who's like obviously from Minnesota, and he's like you know like so different so it's like he has this like great ability to do shit like that but yeah so I loved Rob Novak I was just like fuck I really want like Scoot to play another like really bad fucking villain like this because he was so good at it but yeah so Rob Novak is number five Brittany um give me your number four give it to me (laughs) hard uh I'm down to two last ones, and I feel like one of them is going to be one of yours, so I'm just going to go with the other for now, and we'll figure it out as we go. It's okay, again, I have plenty. (laughs) I got to find, what's bad is I know the name, but I forgot the name of the movie now. If I say the name, can you tell me the movie? Yes. Uh, Tom Bowen. Oh, um, nonstop. Yes, uh, which it, Liam Neeson plays the main character, right? Right. Can I interrupt you for two seconds? I'm so sorry. This is another movie that I had watched for another character because Corey Stoll is in it, and I had yes. watched this. I had watched this years ago, like before I ever watched Sleepless, you know. So again, like Scoot McNary wasn't even on my radar. I didn't even think about it. And when I was looking for Scoot movies, and I was like, "Oh my god, nonstop! I love this movie. That's him." So any, like, anyway, I don't mean to interrupt you at all, but no, it, it just was funny because I had seen that movie a few times beforehand. No, I. 
I felt like I would just, like, watch this on, like, daytime television, you know, like, where they're, like, doing reruns, and, like, one time when I was living with my parents, I felt like I watched it, right? Mm-hmm. But, but like, so basically the plot is, is that Liam Neeson's character is an air marshal, and he, uh, what happened to his family, like, or, like, he doesn't see his daughter, do- I can't remember what happened to his family, but, you know, he's very, like, in on himself. He doesn't take his job seriously. He's an alcoholic. You know, he he obviously, like, I think, I can't remember what he does. Like, he has a flask on him or something like that. Am I, am I making that up? He's an alcoholic. I think he always has, like, a flask on him. And he also has, like, a freaking, um, whatchamacallit, oh, like, a pack of cigarettes and tape. So that he can, like, you know, go into the bathroom in an airplane and, like, duct tape the vents so that it doesn't, like, register that he's smoking in there. Yeah, he's, like, he's the worst. He's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. It's, like, basically he starts getting messages saying, like, uh, if he doesn't do this or, like, some, like, like someone's going to die, mm. basically. And as we see... I think one of the pilots gets poisoned. Uh, I can't remember who all dies in it, but basically this plane is getting very close to going down, and everybody thinks the air marshal is crazy, or that he's doing it because suddenly he's pulling a gun on everyone. He's wanting, like, because he's trying to get everybody's phones because he's trying to see who is messaging him, who's coordinating this. And so anybody that had their phone on him at the time, he's, like, trying to, like, really, like, get a hold of them. But basically, to skip ahead a little bit, uh, Tom Bowen's character, or Bowen, is it Bowen or Bowen? I think I say Bowen. I don't don't know, actually. Just Tom. Yeah, just Tom. So Tom ends up to be the guy. And you, you suspect him for like a hot second in the middle. But as we've seen, he's been wrong a million times by this point, Liam Neeson's character. So you don't even think anything with him because this guy is like kind of cowardly looking, very meek, you know, very like, oh, my God, what are you doing? You know, you know, very like, oh, seems very unassuming. Uh, but you find out it was him, and the reasons his motivations was is that he lost his father during 9-11, and that he's lost faith in, like, basically with, like, all the TSA stuff, all the air marshal stuff, saying, like, this is all basically a show. That's right, right? Like, that he basically has no faith that this would actually prevent anything, and that, you know, they're just going to have another thing happen like that again. So... Oh, to prevent another 9-11, he's like, you know what we should do? We should totally destroy a plane so that, and like, do exactly, like, the same thing almost just to, like, prove a point that it can still happen, which I'm like, what kind of freaking logic is that, by the way? Well, he has a line where he's like, people don't listen to messages unless those messages are written in blood. Yeah, which is so fucked up, but a great line. I guess, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it ends up being orchestrated. Uh, I don't think the other guy that was, like, his accomplice thought, oh, we're going to die. Like, I think the whole plan was that they were going to get off still and not die with the plane, but they end up, uh, that becomes kind of an issue later on, but uh, 
obviously Liam Neeson's character prevents it and everything and, and gets the girl at the end and everything else, which I love how Stoll's character is like a cop that is going to his uh, gay brother's wedding in England. And I thought that was cute because you could tell he doesn't, like, approve from that standpoint, but it's still like, I'm like, but at least you're still going. At least you're still supporting your brother, you know? I was like, so it was kind of, like, cute in that aspect where I'm like, you're a dick and you're an asshole and you're a bigot, but at least you're like, I don't know. At least you're still going. At least you're still support. But that cop is like a dick the entire time Corey Stoll's character. His character definitely is. I feel like his whole thing was like, I don't even think like necessarily he really like is against his brother. Like I know this is so like reading into it too much because it was so quick. But just from like observing the character, it's like he wasn't even like against his brother say being gay i think he was against the fact that he had to travel across the fucking ocean wedding. <laughs> like i feel like that's what it is he was like god damn it like you couldn't have got married here i have to go because you see at some point his like text messages from his brother and he's like can't wait to see you here yay yeah. you know like <laughs> total opposites like his brother was probably more playful and fun and Corey so was like i'm a cop in new york which i don't think there i've ever probably seen a happy cop in new york to you um but um yeah no you did a really great job uh describing that uh do you want me to uh take over no i was just gonna say like i had as i said i had seen nonstop a few years before even like getting into scoot mcnary because Corey stoll was in it i do love Corey stoll's character being this like very grumpy like you know new york uh officer where he's just like i know what's going on like you know air marshal you better tell us because like i'm a i did like his character though at the end because it's like he is a cop and he still wanted to like say do good and the idea that like at one point um, Liam Neeson's character was going to allow the plane to like the bomb to go off. He was just like, what do you mean you're going to allow the bomb to go off? Like, we're here to save people, not do that, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, Tom's character is so like, like unimposing right when you first meet him he's like you don't realize like because he's just out there like smoking a cigarette and asking you know Liam Neeson's character if he has a light and he's like oh I'm going to Amsterdam like he says I remember that he's like I'm going to Amsterdam because Liam Neeson suspects him at first on the plane because he's their plane is going to England and he sees Tom's character and he's just like what happened to you going to Amsterdam? And he's like, you know, oh, I'm doing a connecting flight. And at first, like, he thinks it's him, but then, you know, like, the air officials on the ground are like, you know, we looked into Tom. He's a teacher. Like, let him go. And it's so, like, crazy, the whole movie, because it's all happening up in the air, and at first everyone thinks Liam Neeson is just, like, insane, but he really is, like, there really is a bomb in the plane. There really is this plan to, like, you know, destroy things. And you think, as you said, Tom is just all, like, unsuspecting and shit. And all of a sudden, he's just, like, gets the fucking gun out of nowhere. And he's just, like, you know, my fucking dad was, you know, killed in 9-11. And, um, 
you know, I went overseas to fight in the war and I came back and like nothing fucking changed. He was like, you know, the fucking TSA agents are all lax. You know, the air marshal is a joke. He's like, and I'm going to prove that. He's like, they let you, you know, a drunk alcoholic, you know, guy and shit be in charge of a fucking plane. He was like, that's bullshit. I think that was his thing. He was like, I'm just prepared to like show how much of bullshit this all is and how easy this was to orchestrate. And yeah, so the his partner who is someone I I'm guessing that he was overseas with um is a tech guy as well and the whole point was that they were supposed to get the money they were supposed to wait for the plane to drop to 8000 feet and then they were going to use the um uh what you call it parachute packs to like you know jump out and uh, fucking Tom is like, I'm prepared to die right now. And the other guy's like, I'm not. <laughs> like, I, I thought. I, I would like to this one, please. He was like, that wasn't part of the plan. We were just supposed to get a shit ton of money. And, like, Tom's like, yeah, no, that was never part of the plan. <laughs> like, I, So Tom pretty much just, like, tricked his friend into doing this shit. Not exactly a good friend, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. But, um. I mean, it was, it's crazy because it certainly, like, plays off of a lot of, like, fears, right? And, you know, me being from, like, New York and witnessing, you know, 9-11 is really crazy. And I hate to say this, but the TSA is lax. Like, when, you know, 9-11 first happened, like, they were checking shoes, they were checking this. Like, they don't make you take your shoes off anymore or anything like that, you know. Um, you, I would say, like, like, one of the first times I came to New York, I had to take off my shoes and do all of that, and now I've hardly ever even been, you know, done anything for when I travel and see you. Yeah, and I even feel like, you know, they tell you you're not supposed to have certain liquids in your bag, or you're not supposed to have, like, objects like tweezers or something, and I've totally gotten on planes not realizing, oh, I have, like, you know, tweezers or something in my bag, or I have, like, a big bottle of lotion or something, and it's, like, how would I get away with bringing this on the plane, you know? Um, So, I mean, that's why I think, like, nonstop, even though I think that a lot of people probably write it off as just another one of, like, Liam Neeson's action films, I still do think that, like, it had a point to it. Um, And I I think it did a really good job in keeping you guessing of who the actual perpetrator was until the end. Like the entire time I was like, who is this fucking guy? Yeah, because you really don't believe it's Tom. You really believe that just, like, Liam Neeson's character is just crazy and, like, just picking on Tom and it's just a complete coincidence. And it's like, but I love the scene when he figures out that it is Tom by seeing someone's phone and seeing, like, how... Liam Neeson's character was carting around Tom and like Tom like tripped and you see him like slipping a phone into another person's jacket and you see like as Liam Neeson is watching this you see Tom's character like slowly take off his glasses and everything because he's just like oh he's discovering the truth I'm getting fucking ready yeah oh so bad I love it, though. I love it, Brittany. This is a great pick. I love Tom Bowen. Bowen, not really sure how to say it, but I think it's a great character. So good job, Brittany. <laughs> um, I'm going to hit number three, and I hope you don't have this character as your next one. 
Um, and if you do, I apologize. <laughs> but is so. the person does the person start with a G? No. Oh, okay. Okay, so I am going to so when I got into this on the Scoot McNary train, right? You know, obviously it was like Rob Novak first. And I was looking at his um filmography and I was seeing like, okay, he's had like a lot of like one offs on T V shows. Like I think he was in an episode of like How I Met Your Mother and shit, blah blah blah. And I s but whenever I like get into actors I always see if they have anything that's like long standing, right? And yeah. I see that there's a show called Halt and Catch Fire. And, uh-huh. that's, and that's Scoot McNary was credited as being in 40 episodes. So I'm like, okay, this is good content. Um, let me check it out. And I ended up really loving the show. So uh, Scoot McNary plays – and I probably have talked about Halt and Catch Fire before on previous podcasts. I just think it's a great series. But um, uh, which one calls it? Scoot plays this character, Gordon Clark, who at first you see this takes place in the early 80s. Gordon is a computer engineer who prior to the series suffered a pretty big loss to his ego when the computer that he made with his wife didn't boot up during Comdex, which was formerly a huge like computer convention that like if you were premiering a computer, you were going to premiere it there. And the computer completely didn't boot up. So after having lost, you know, money, being ashamed, he's pretty much just like the shell of a guy who like hates his job. Like, you know, he has a really great wife, but you can tell like his own, you know, like self-loathing has really put a damper on their relationship. And he's not a very, like, attentive father and shit. And then Lee Pace's character, Joe, you know, McMillan comes in, who's, like, the ult, like, Joe is, like, the ultimate stereotype of, like, a fucking salesman, right? He comes in, he's, like, this bullshitter where he gets Gordon, he's like, oh, I read who you are, like, I have all these ideas, you're gonna do it. But pretty much lights a fire under Gordon's ass where Gordon is like, you know, really like putting his skills into place and shit and all that and really like starts just being more alive and really feels like he's doing something and, you know, helps create this computer, which I'm sorry, Brittany, like this shit cracks me up all the fucking time because it's in the you know it's in the beginning of the 80s and they're trying to like make a computer and gordon says to his team of engineers he's like so joe wants us to make a portable computer that weighs 15 pounds and they're all like that's impossible what that will never happen (laughs) and just to me it's like the funniest fucking thing but so anyway like um you know gordon's character goes from this character who's just very like depressed and very like you know down on his luck and shit to being more confident you know uh creating a computer on his own you know having his own company um selling it then also like creating all these things and i just love like his character and how he is because i love gordon because he's also kind of angry at times <laughs> like he does it's like worked up one of my favorite scenes from season one is like 
Gordon kind of suffers a like psychotic break in the first season because he's working so hard. And so he, you know, has like time off. And when he gets back to work, he's like so excited that they're going to go to Comdex and blah, blah. And pretty much the secretary is like, oh, you're going to? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, Joe said that only he was going. And he like goes into the office. He's all angry. He's like, I only built the fucking thing. And Joe's like, you know, it's a salesman convention. He's like, it's better if I just go. And you see Gordon walk back to his office and he puts on like headphones and he's trying to like listen to his like calming tapes. And he just gets so angry. He takes it off his ears and just like throws it at the wall. Like I could probably go on forever and talk about all the great like Gordon moments. I mean, there's so many with like his wife. There's just so many great ones with it, you know, with Joe throughout the seasons. Like, and so I don't want to spend like too much time on it because we actually, now that I think about it, did a fucking top ten moments from Halt and Catch Fire. So you could actually look that up um, if when. This top 10 posts on YouTube, I'll actually put it in the description box because that was a great fucking show, Um, a great top 10 where we did the top 10 moments from Halt and Catch Fire. So you can see all of our favorite moments of Gordon there. But Brittany, I mean, what do you think about Gordon Clark? It to me is one of his best freaking roles. I love this character. I remember, like, not for nothing, I was like, I knew, I knew you were like, it's so great, you know, he's so wonderful in this, but I was like, oh, it's kind of like that old agey, you know, like, very nostalgic, you know, kind of doing the Strangers thing, you know, the Strangers things kind of, like, vibe with, like, the 80s, and I was like, oh, it's going to be good, but I don't know if I can really get into it, right, because how much drama and stuff can you have in something like that? I was so wrong when we watched it together when I was in New York last and like we were just sitting there enjoying it. It was like the best time ever. I was like, this is so good. I remember I I was like, because sometimes, you know, when you get distracted and you're like, oh, don't pay attention to the thing. I got actually like to the point where I was like, oh, yeah, I hear you. But I'm also watching this. But I'm like, but Gordon's great because you're right. He is grumpy. He is like oh, he's not, like, the mild man or, like, soft man that, you know, is, like, I'm trying to think of the word for it. it it's kind of like he's not mild manner and he's not meek, but he, he kind of is, like, beaten down, but to watch him get his fire back was pretty great. It was great. It really, like, to me, I absolutely loved it. Um, I love seeing his character more, like, confident and everything. Um, and I like seeing him say, become a better father because he was so like down on himself. He wasn't very like attentive to his children. And in season two, where he's more rejuvenated and everything, and Donna takes on the role of being the person who like really goes to work all the time. Um, you know, Gordon becomes more of a like stay-at-home parent at that point but anyway i love him i love his like relationship with joe i love how like he and cameron slowly become friends throughout the seasons because in the first season they hated each other there was at some point where gordon looked like he was gonna lunge at cameron in that episode where like you thought cameron like fucked up with the bios code there was that one point where he looked like he was going to lunge at her and i was like oh my god like chill out. Um, like chill, and, bro. Chill. 
But they ended up becoming, like, really good friends, especially in, say, season three when she goes to, like, live with them for a little bit. Um, And then even in season four, they're, like, friends with each other. So I really enjoy it. I just love Gordon. Um, Spoiler alert, like, I hate that his character, like, died. (laughs) (laughs) What were you going to say? Such a bummer. It was, oh, God, I was so sad about that. I was like, wait, what? Like, what? <laughs> you thought not uh, finish that scene, have you? Because you were like, you were like, I don't want to watch it. Um, freaking, like, I, I will full on confess to you, like, right now, I have, okay, I haven't watched the episode in its entirety, right? Yeah. I've I've watched the because they don't sh- okay spoiler alert they don't show him dying right um and they don't show his body like dead or anything like that they mostly show just him because he develops a brain condition in season two and in, in season four he's getting like hallucinations so the last scene is him really just watching this like hallucination scene of like his life with Donna um and. So, but I have seen the scene that's so sad with, like, Donna calling Gordon and, like, leaving a message for him and talking about, like, you know, how her and Joe actually had a friendly conversation. Because at some point, again, spoiler alert, Gordon and Donna divorce and Gordon has a new girlfriend. And so Donna's, like, leaving this voicemail and, like, halfway throughout the voicemail, like, the girlfriend picks up and she's like, Donna, I've been trying to get you like all day or something like that. And it's like, that's when you know. And you're like, uh, no, no. Tia's going to be traumatized. I still maintain that they loved each other because like literally Gordon tells Donna that he loves her. And then you're going to tell me that like Gordon's final like moments in life was him hallucinating Donna, like not even his girlfriend. <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, it wasn't yeah. like sitting there it wasn't like he was sitting there thinking about like his girlfriend. He was sitting there hallucinating fucking Donna. And then in the very next episode is all these like flashbacks of Donna and Gordon when they first were married and had a kid and yeah. were like, trying to make it and I was like, Yeah, okay, please. Yeah. <laughs> <Spare>. <laughs> um, and see where you laugh and he goes wait you're serious and he's like get out of here and that, that's me like laughing when people are like oh he loved his girlfriend and then going wait you were serious he, like i'm sorry i feel i really feel like um because and i'll say this really quick so that we can like get to number two but there's at some point like when Gordon and Donna divorce, but like they're literally having dinner together. They call each other all the time. And I'm sure people were like, okay, so when are Donna and Gordon getting back together? And I feel like the writers were like, oh God, we got to like stop them from asking this. Let's, let's, let's give Gordon a girlfriend and <laughs> you know, let's give him a girlfriend. And then they have in one episode where like Donna has a one night stand and it's like, they really tried to like throw that out there and be like, oh, look, see, they're with other people. But then you have Donna getting arrested for drunk driving, and Gordon's the one who picks her up, and he tells her that he loves her. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Don't lie to me. 
Don't lie to me. But, um, yeah, I love Goran Clark. And, again, I could probably go on for hours, but we did a top ten moments from Halt and Catch Fire. So you can just check that out. Um, Brittany, what is your number two in our list of top ten roles of Scoot McNary? I'm going to go with uh, Walt from Narcos. And, and I'm going to have you help me with this one because I love Walt. I've watched plenty of scenes with Walt, but I have not seen Narcos Mexico in its entirety. But I think what I love is that, you know how we said he is a chameleon? Yes. It's, it's like he plays such like a gruff, like no-nonsense kind of character. And coming from like Narcos, you know, the other word, they were more by the book and more had to, um, you know, they did more things like kind of like the quote-unquote legal way. And after this, this was after uh, Kiki had died, right? When Narcos Mexico takes off. And Walt is such like, like, basically everything's off the books like they it was like it was like getting to see the r-rated version of like the original narcos because realizing how everything was going there but i think i love like one uh, like walt is like would you call him he's like a dirty something like would you call him you said something like because <sighs> he looks like he spent like way too much time out in the sun and he just looks so gruff and shit like that. Like, I love he's it. Baked. He is baked. He is definitely <laughs> baked. <laughs> that's, that's like the tannest that like Scoot has probably ever been. Yeah. But, um, then he ended up going to Mexico because he had a brother, right. That, uh, ended up getting, uh, into drugs and overdosing and, you know, leaving his wife and young son, you know, basically without a father and a husband. And, you know, Walt does take on that more fatherly role with the son, but the wife is kind of like, please, you know, stop. But kind of like, oh, well, my husband's dead, so, you know, it's just us now. But it's like still that's his, you know, it's Walt's nephew, and he does want to be that more fatherly figure. But you do see, like, you know, his brother's death did mess with him a lot. But isn't that the whole reason he went to Mexico in the first place is because he kind of blamed all the drugs coming from there for the reason his brother died? I mean, so Walt was already a DE agent before his brother passed away. He comes up on his brother's overdose. But I'm saying, is that why he went to Mexico, though? I think he just went to Mexico because he was like, you know, he... I think that they assigned him because they knew that, like, he could get shit done because Operation Leenda was really a, like, off-the-books, like, sort of operation. Um, there's not a lot of information still out there about it because it pretty much was, like, a secret. Like, the government didn't want Mexico to know, and they did a lot of, like, illegal stuff. Like, Walt even says it, like, in season two. He was like, if you ask us, the whole thing was probably fucking illegal because they were literally like you know gorillas pretty much like guerrilla warfare like going across the border without like telling anyone or anything you know because he snuck into the country like because he snuck into the country acting like he was going fishing right right exactly exactly which i don't know who drives all the way to mexico just to fish but okay you do you well i mean i guess on like the texas border or something and you're just like oh i'm just gonna go to mexico for the day or something 
That is I mean, to be, to be fair, Brittany, you have driven eight hours just to go, like, clothes shopping. Eight hours? Hey, we would stay the night, though. Uh, but uh, <laughs> in Arkansas, Gia, you got to travel if you want to get anywhere. But uh, <laughs> I was going to say, uh, what... What gets me is, like, when I was pipelining, I will admit, like, when we were close to the border, people would be like, I'm going to Mexico for the weekend. I was like, oh, my gosh. They're like, you go have fun. Because it was so foreign to my brain to go, okay, yeah, I can just go into another country over, like, the weekend that you're so close. You know what I mean? Because Arkansas is, not Arkansas, but, like, the U.S. is, like, basically closed off to many countries of just being like within like driving distance besides Canada and Mexico. You know what I mean? That's like when my grandparents one time were like, Oh yeah, we went to Niagara Falls and we just like went to Canada for the day. I'm like, my grandparents have been to fucking Canada. Like (laughs) what? (laughs) You just drive there. That's crazy. But I do love Walt. I love, uh, you called him like a trash bandit. I think is what you called him. Like a trash, like a, <laughs> I don't know exactly you call him because it made me laugh every time. But I just love his character because he is rough around the edges, and I I'm not doing the greatest job like explaining why I like him. But it's just that he's so different. You know what I mean? Like he's different than like he has a way of playing something so different every single time, even when you feel like it's the same. If that makes sense, like a similar character. Absolutely. Um. Freaking! so this is another case of, like, me having watched something before really knowing who Scoot McNary was, right? So I was a big fan of the original Narcos, right, um, with Steve Murphy, Javier Pena, and Colombia, right? So when they first came out with season one of Narcos Mexico, and it was like, oh, it's going to be kind of like a prequel series because it's going to talk about, like, what happened to Kiki, you know, because in the in the original in the original Narcos, while they're in Colombia, like Kiki Camarino's death had already happened, and Operation Leenda had already happened. So the first season of Narcos Mexico is like, oh, here's Kiki in Mexico, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Let me watch it. And in the original Narcos, it's like there was always a narrator. And in the first two seasons was Steve Murphy, and in the third season was Javier Pena. And you always saw their characters, like, front and center. So I assume that since Kiki was, like, the main character in season one of Narcos Mexico, that it would be Kiki um, narrating him. And it wasn't. It was, like, this other voice. And I'm like, I don't know who this is, right? And, you know, I'm, like, I'm, like, looking up, and I remember, like, I don't even remember seeing the name, but I just remember in my head, like, going, I don't know who the fuck that is, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so then when I was into, like, Scoot McNary, and then I was seeing his, like, you know, um, freaking filmography, I was like, oh, my, wait, he was in Narcos Mexico, and it said, like, narrator. And I was like, oh, my God, that was him. So, so like, he, and you had to, like, so he narrated the very first season, and you only see his character in the very end of the season because um, the season ends with, like, Kiki having died and um, the U.S. government saying, like, okay, we're going to, you know, do Operation Leenda. And it's Walt's character getting down to Mexico saying, like, you know, it didn't matter that he doesn't know who Kiki is. It doesn't matter that they never met. Like, he was a DEA agent just like he is, and he is like, and someone's going to fucking pay. So you have in season two, um, and I'll go through it quickly. I'm sorry, Brittany. Well, but 
Um, you have in season two where he's in, um, you know, Mexico, and the first few episodes are very much like him just like doing these like undercover operations, like getting people who were, you know, responsible for Kiki's death and like pretty much illegally throwing them over to the U.S. border so that they could get arrested and extradited and shit. Um, his character really starts like developing more. You see more of his character, like in episode two, um, they're interrogating the guy who tortured um, uh, Kiki and the guy's like not talking and Walt is at his wit's end and Walt literally gets up and like, you know, walks over to him angrily and literally cuts off one of his fingers. And he's just like, you know, like Steve or Javier Pena would never do that. They would have been more by the books. They and Walt like literally over how to get him to talk. Exactly. And Walt like literally cuts off like, and then he cuts off another one of his fingers because the guy still isn't talking. And then one of the guys in Walt's group shoots the guy in his gut because he's like, oh, you know, now you know we could take you to the hospital or you can bleed out. And like other ones of Walt's group are like, oh my god, this is so wrong, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Walt's like, no, no, no. Like, you know what? That was a good decision. Um, you said oh, you shit. die for your country. It's like you said you die for your country, so let's see if you're fucking, you know, truthful about it. <laughs> you're gonna give me what I want? Um, and also, in episode three, this, like, great freaking scene where Walt, like, tricks one of these other guys to get on a plane, and he's literally, like, he's not operating the plane but he got someone to operate the plane and he's in like the pilot's like cockpit as like they land in the u.s and the guys the drug dealer's like what the fuck and he's like hey guy welcome to the usa (laughs) you're (laughs) fucked um but you find out you find more about walt's character like as he goes like walt is very honest like one of Walt's guy says to another, he's like, if Walt tells you that he's going to do something, he's going to do it for you. You know, Walt, like, keeps his promises. He's very, like, he's very much about honor. And there's even at some point where um, he gets to know one of the other drug dealers, Pablo Acosta, who doesn't agree with what Felix is doing. And Walt is like, you know, I don't think you're a bad man. He's like, and I want to help you. And he's like, and I want to get you to the U.S. and get you under witness, you know, protection. I want, you know, you and your, you know, girlfriend who's pregnant, Mimi, to have a good life. And he really, like, tries. Like, even during this, like, shootout where the FBI is trying to kill Pablo Acosta, Walt literally puts himself in between Pablo and um, the FBI, which is, like, crazy because it's, like, he's a drug dealer. You're, like, down in Mexico to catch drug dealers. Like, what do you care if this guy dies? And it's, like, to Walt, it's, like, he saw Pablo as honorable and he promised him something and he wasn't going to, like, go against that promise. And even Pablo's, like, why are you going to sacrifice your life for me? Um, So it was, like, very good scenes, you know, and just such a great character and there's at some point where like his crew gets ambushed um and freaking like a lot of the guys die and walt asks his superiors like hey like we promised these guys things and even though they're dead we still need to like honor that promise and they're like no we don't like fuck that that's and walt's like up. yeah so like walt's like really pissed so anyway um 
he's just such a fantastic character and yeah i was so sad at the like again like scoot is such a great actor like the the flashback scene of him discovering his brother's body just the way he's like walking and then all of a sudden you see his like steps slowing down because he's he like realizes that that's his brother like dead and he's just like oh it's just so good but i wanted to say one other thing to talk about how like Walt is very honorable, right? And in the end, just wants to do good. Like, he's, you know, he's so, um, like, wanting to help, you know, find and put away the people who are responsible for Kiki's murder, even though he'd never met Kiki. But I wanted to say that, freaking, there's that one scene where they're overlooking, like, a confrontation between um, freaking uh, God I forget their names, like Behamin and, um, like, those brothers, right? And, like, a confrontation between their family and, like, the Sinaloans and stuff. And all the other guys are really uncomfortable because pretty much, like, uh, Behamin and his brothers are, like, executing these, like, Sinaloan guys. And Walt is kind of just like, we don't step in. Like, just let this happen. You know, because they kind of, like, set the trap to happen. So it's fucking crazy. I love Walt's character, though, and I'm so excited that Narcos Mexico got renewed for a third season, and Scoot is coming back. (laughs) You're like, this is all I wanted. It's the best thing ever. It really is. I'm fucking so happy about it. But, Brittany, I love that you put Walt Breslin on this list. He definitely deserved it because I think it's one of Scoot's best characters. But we are down to the number one on our top ten list of the best roles that Scoot McNary has ever played. Personally, they're all fucking amazing, even the ones where he's only in it for, like, a little bit. But... Um, before we say the number one, let me go through the list. Uh, number 10 is, oh my God, sorry. I had like (laughs) indigestion there for a second. Um, (laughs) but (laughs) number 10 is Jackson Norris. Number nine is Tom Purcell. Number eight is Bill McNew. Number seven is Frankie. Number six is Don. Number five is Rob Novak. Number four is Tom Bowen. Number three is Gordon Clark. Number two is Walt Breslin. And number one is a character um, where, uh, what should we call this, Scoot McNary is reunited with his Halt and Cash Fire wife. And it is Joe Stafford from Argo. Now, Argo... So Argo um, won an Academy Award back, I think, in 2012 when it came out. It's directed by Ben Affleck. And uh, everyone knows I shit on Ben Affleck, like, so hard. And it's so funny because I always always say that, like, I don't like him. But my mom always points out, she's like, but you like a lot of the movies that he's in. And I'm like, fuck, she's right. Like, I love The Accountant. I love (laughs) Gone Girl. And so, you know, I was like going through Scoot McNary's library trying to see what to watch and I saw like oh he's in Argo and I'm like but that's that Ben Affleck movie and I'm like oh fuck fine I'll put it on um I I love the movie actually I thought it was so fucking good um but so the whole thing is like it it is based on a real life story someplace in the 80s where in Iran um the students, I believe it, I said, I think they said like the protest was started by students um, in Iran where they, you know, very much disliked that the U.S. was holding um, the old Shah 
that was in charge of Iran, who was, like, responsible for pretty much, like, plummeting Iran into a very, like, bad economic, you know, depression and shit like that. Um, And the U.S. was, like, refusing to give him back over to Iran for punishment. So in protest, they stormed the U.S. embassy, and only, I think, about eight people are able to escape including uh, Scoot McNary's Joe Stafford. And him and his wife, played by Carrie Beach, who played Donna Clark in Halt and Catch Fire, um, are able to seek asylum at the Canadian embassy. But the thing is, is that Canada is telling them, like, you got to get them out of here. We do not want anything to do with this whole shit. Um, but they know that if they leave the Canadian, the safety of the Canadian embassy, that they're fucking dead. You know, because I, the Iranians at this point are, you know, looking for that because at this point they're, I think, considered probably like, you know, fugitives of the law um, and shit. So Ben Affleck's character is a member of the CIA tasked with extracting them from uh, Iran. And he comes up with this whole thing of, you know, we're going to make it seem like we are filming a movie and these are my Canadian, you know, filmmakers. And that's how we're going to get them out of fucking Iran. But so Scoot McNary plays Joe Stafford, who is very skeptical of Ben Affleck's character and what he's doing. He's like, I'm not going to risk me and my wife's life by having you, you know, do something that you've never done before. Like you've never used this excuse to get someone out of a country. And this is really volatile, the situation. Um, And he's very like anti anything. And he kind of like at one point refuses to say like learn his role and he kind of like fucks up with his like cover story and shit and he tells like one of the other guys like you know i'm really like worried i think we're gonna die here he's like and i feel so bad because i'm the one who you know got my wife a job at the american embassy because i thought it'd be good for us to like you know be together at the same location and shit and it's like and now i've put her in this situation but the whole thing is that they go to the airport and while they're in the airport um they're like pulled aside for questioning about the movie and shit all right guys um so just wanted to say this really quick. Uh, if you're hearing something a little funky right now, our uh, previous call kind of got dropped, so we had to press record again. Um, but Brittany did say that the last thing she heard me say was about uh, Joe Stafford, um, what she called uh, refusing to learn his lines. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so I'm just going to continue from there, but um, yeah, so at some point he, like, refuses to learn his lines and shit like that, so anyway, there's at some point in Argo where the Americans, disguised as Canadian film crew, um, are at the airport, right, they're, like, ready to finally leave when they're pulled aside by the uh, Iranian military, and they're, like, it's looking like at first they're not buying the story because um, they don't speak English, right? And uh, Joe Stafford, Scoot's character, speaks Farsi, the, um, you know, language that they speak. So he's able to, like, 
fully describe what's going on and it's like this person who like really acted as if like he didn't want to do this at all he wasn't like you know up to, uh like taking anything in is able to like fully describe the entire movie what everyone's names are what everyone does like in full farsi and is really like responsible for um helping them like get out of that situation and finally get on the plane and go home so yeah um i love joe stafford just because again i think that scoot and carrie beach have really a great chemistry together and i love that his character is the character that's so like anti everything that's going on but is the one who ends up like helping them the most in the end so yeah what do you think Brittany? <laughs> it's great because like it like I know I keep saying this, but I think what really gets me with him is that he can play these characters that are different each time. And even though they may pull on a similarity between other characters he's done, they each feel like a new character. Like like we said, we love Frank Grillo, but I feel like he's playing the same character over and over again, just levels of gruffness. If that makes sense. Sorry, I had myself on mute. I was trying uh, trying to get myself off of mute. But, yeah, no, I loved it. And I think um, I, the movie is really good. Like, I did not expect to like the movie as much as I did. But I love the whole, like, uh, backstory of it, the whole, like, flow of it and everything. I just thought it was, like, a really great fucking, like, movie um, that I suggest anyone watch. I think that, oh, God, I hate to admit it, but, like, Ben Affleck is a good director. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> oh my God. Did help just freeze over to you? And it's funny because I think that Ben and Scoot kind of work well with each other because um, Scoot McNary was not only in Argo, but Scoot also had a very – it was a very small part, but actually had a small role in Gone Girl, which is another movie that I had watched not realizing that Scoot was in. Um, and then Scoot McNary and Ben Affleck were both in uh, Batman versus Superman. So, you know, they play, they've worked together a few times at this point, and I'm like, they kind of work well with each other if Ben was directing – a new movie it's like you should probably call scoot <laughs> um but like he did good he was, he was easy to handle he wasn't a dick yeah let's get him yeah exactly but i really like argo as a movie as a whole and i liked his character joe stafford um scoot can really grow a very glorious mustache so uh <laughs> you know you could definitely see that and i think that Carrie Beach, first of all, is, like, such a beautiful person. Um, she's a great actress, so I really liked her character in this as well. So, yeah, um, that kind of concludes our list for the top ten uh, Scoot McNary roles. Did you have any honorable mentions, Brittany? I was trying to sit and think, but I knew you liked him in the Comey Report, right? I did really like him as Rod Rosenstein, which is, you know, weird because Rod, the real Rod Rosenstein is like a fucking weasel. But I thought that Scoot did a good job in portraying him. You thought he played a good weasel? He did. He did. He really played the guy well, like right on the nose. <laughs> Uh, I was trying to think if I could think of anything, but like you said, uh, he did play in Batman, and he seemed to do a good job as that, but, uh, you know, testifying against what Superman 
in that one? Yes. But uh, I was trying to think if there was anything else I could think of, but I think that's about it for me. Yeah, he was... Um, the thing is, is that with um, Batman versus Superman... I'm sorry, my mom's, like, texting me asking me about food. Ma, when you listen to this, I'm on the top ten still. Um, but <laughs> freaking what you call it. Um, his character in Batman versus Superman, I had read that when they first casted him, they had intended to make him the character Metallo, um, the villain. So, but then, like, that's why they had his character lose his legs and have, like, that really, like, you know, um, like, crazy uh, freaking wheelchair and shit because he was going to, like, transform and become this, like, you know, character and shit. And then, you know, Zack Snyder decided to add a thousand fucking um you know other characters and villains and shit and it just completely didn't go that way Zack Snyder has a lot of fanboys but some of them are kind of ravenous and I don't understand why um yeah I don't either they're fucking crazy which I know is like uh, they're gonna come after me now but I don't really fucking care like the the Snyder Cut wasn't done he's like reshooting all new fucking scenes like that's not finished to me okay <laughs> Zack Snyder, oh it's finished look I, I'm going to show you a film reel of it being finished here and it's like um, the studios are giving you like 30 million dollars and all of the that's actors are right and all the actors are returning for fucking reshoots and you're bringing in people to do FX and shit it's not finished Zach anyway sorry <laughs> um, <laughs> just guess me every time but for me, um, for freaking uh, honorable mentions, I mean all of them, but uh, that character, that character Maurice from Fargo, I really like the character Jake that he played in this movie Aftermath with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I thought was better than like you would think it was going to be. Um, and then I also liked his character Bradley from Love Life, who I thought was going to be in the show a lot more than just two fucking episodes, but I still thought it was good. So, yeah, um, all I can say is that freaking Watch the Comey role was really good. I'm so fucking excited that uh, Mex- uh, Narcos Mexico got renewed for a third season. Scoot will be returning. And for other upcoming projects of Scoot, he is actually – so. Netflix is developing this movie called Blonde, and it stars Anna de Armas as Marilyn Monroe, and uh, Scoot McNary is going to be playing a part in that film. So, yeah, make sure you check it out. But, Brittany, before I let you go, please tell everyone where they can find you and what they can find. I say you can always find me on Twitch at Itty Bitty Brit. Uh, I've been playing a lot of scary games, playing this game called Murder House that is set up like a early 1990s, like kind of like Resident Evil where the controls are kind of clunky. But it's a scary game, and I didn't expect uh, old-ass graphics to scare the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, if you want to see me get scared, you can always find me there. And uh, for my schedule, just, you know, memes. Find me at itty bitty Brit zero on Twitter. Absolutely. Please make sure you check that out, everyone. Brittany is a very dedicated streamer and deserves your attention. Um, as for me, you can check out my stuff uh, mostly at Geek Vibes Nation. 
Um, I just had an interview with Eric Winkler, the writer and executive producer of an indie horror film called I Am Lisa. That was actually really good. So you can check that out at um, Geek Vibes Podcast YouTube channel, um, as well as all of my tea times and other interviews that I've done. Just I've been doing a lot of great interviews, a lot of awesome people. So please make sure you check that out. It is well, it's not going to get posted today. But it is our editor-in-chief, our El Capitan birthday, Kanan, is celebrating his birthday today. Happy birthday, Kanan! <laughs> Happy birthday, Kanan! Um, so I know it's not going to get posted today on Sunday, but whenever you hear this, you know, even go to uh, Geek Vibes Nation Twitter and make sure you wish him a happy belated birthday. But, Brittany... Thank you so much for taking the time to do the top 10 this morning. And everyone, I will see you all later. Peace. See you all next time.